Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Hey, we're watching some more Doctor Who here on Lazy Doctor Who. That's what we do here on Lazy Doctor Who. We watch Doctor Who on Lazy Doctor Who. I know. I forget when the last time... Was it Christmas? I don't know. Sure. I'm too lazy to remember details. It was Christmas. It's almost a month ago. Here I thought we were like, oh, well, if we just recorded an episode, but it was like a month ago, but... Uh... Time has no meaning. Time never had much meaning for me, but right now, like in the world the way it is now, it really has no meaning. That's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Um, well, we've watched Carnival of Monsters, uh, serial code PPP. Episode one. Episode one. I was going to say that, but I just wanted to, <laughs> thought you had something to offer with the serial code PPP, if that was... Uh, no. Okay. Uh, you have no memory of this one. You said at the very, like within the first three seconds of, of watching this episode. So did did anything jog your memory of watching this before? Uh, yes and no. Like I'm pretty sure that I s- probably saw it when I was very young, like probably younger than 10 maybe. Um, and the reason that I say that is because I remember my dad talking about this as one of the few Pertwee stories that he actually kind of enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So I assume if he saw it, then probably I saw it, but maybe, maybe not, maybe not even. Uh, this is not one that my mom had recorded onto VHS. So I never watched it like, you know, the, the great rewatch of 1994, right. etc. Like that was, this was not part of that. Um, so if I had seen it before, it was when I was very little. Um, I do know some things about it just from absorbing them through you know, culture, Doctor Who podcast culture and conventions and stuff. So like I have definitely seen pictures of that guy with a clear hat and the terrible mustache and like Vorg. Sure. Yeah, him. Um I don't remember seeing pictures of the woman. Wow, that is quite an outfit. Sure enough. Mm-hmm. Sure, whatever. Um and like I know I have heard like uh the Doctor Who the Writer's Room podcast, I remember that they talked about this story. I don't really remember what they said. Right. Um, so I've, I've heard people talk about this. I know that this is the origin of the mini scope, um, okay. which is a term we haven't even heard yet. We heard scope. Yeah. Um, and there are, so like I kind of knew when they landed, like the, the obviously the ship is in the mini scope, which uh, probably, you know. Spoilers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like maybe people hadn't figured that out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that is what's happening. Um I bet it was really fun to watch for the, you know, not knowing that and being super shocked by a giant hand coming down and picking up a tiny TARDIS at the end. Um so like even that shot seems familiar to me. So I feel like I know a lot about this story, but I really didn't remember it. So nothing especially at the beginning with, you know, the guys in in gray and like the functionaries. Yeah, no, no, the other guys. Oh, those two, the the the, the three who rule, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it was, uh, it was very like, wow, this is this. It felt like watching new to me Doctor Who. It really mm-hmm. did. Yep. Well, that's good. It's uh, it is a story that excited Barry Letts so much that he rejigged the production schedule. I think so that it would fall at the last. Uh, story of the previous production block so that he could comfortably direct it without having to worry about you know being producer for the next story that was in the run because he really wanted to direct this one because he was quite quite pleased by it's it's a robert holmes script ah i somehow missed that yep it's his fourth after uh, um croton's space pirates fifth uh, Spirit from Space, Terror of the Autons. But this, I think, I feel many people do too, is the first 
Robert Holmes script. Like there's little, the little, the, the Holmesian double acts, if you will. The, you know, the dialogue, I think, starts to become sort of like a, a bigger thing. The the satire that sort of weaves its way into this. I have I have thoughts on, on what um, things are represented by here. But um, I don't know. Did anything stand out that way for you? I, I definitely, definitely noticed the dialogue. And it's funny. I must have just glanced away from the screen when the you know, writer right. credit came up because I didn't notice it was Robert Holmes, but I did notice the dialogue and was really like, I loved the interplay between the doctor and Joe. And mm-hmm. it just, it felt fun and fast and zippy and warm at the same time. Um, and you know, the, the three gray guys putting their heads together and the back and forth and how dare you. And like all of that stuff was, um, it, and and that scene in particular, I thought was directed very well and shot very well. Yeah. So nice job, uh, Barry Letts there. Oh, that came to life. <laughs> like it was, it was really just delightful mm-hmm. uh, to watch that bit. So it does make sense to me now that you point out. Oh yeah, it's a Robert Holmes script. Oh yeah, it is a Robert Holmes script. It, it does feel like that. Yeah, I uh, I think when I say Robert, because you know sometimes he would do these little satires, and I feel that his experiences in hearing what happened with Terra the Autons, where people like in Parliament were like upset that they were showing policemen as right. you know that the, the scene in the cliffhanger, whatever episode that was, where the policeman's an Auton and stuff. And I think that that sort of informs him. I look at this story, and I've said this in Ready for Scar on other places before too, but how the the um, plectrack, uh, plectrack, plectrack, the know. taller one, Peter Halliday of the oh. the the bald gray guys, okay. and Michael Wisher's character, and the other guy um, are what I like to think of like is sort of the BBC. <laughs> or government, because they're sort of like representing the government there. And here are these wackadoodle, and I feel like they see, uh, we see sort of Vorg and Sherna through their eyes in a way. Just these couple of clowns, this weird clown with a crazy coat and everything, and this wacko companion and stuff like that. I see them, Vorg and Sherna and the, and the miniscope and all that, as Doctor Who. Yeah. And, and how they are appearing to the these people here the the tribunal so to speak they're sort of like that's why there's a a great line that has been quoted everywhere you know we're we only seek to amuse nothing political nothing you know so i think that's his dig at the at the bbc and the hierarchy of of parliament and stuff about how they view doctor who and how it's actually not like that at all that actually that makes very good sense although so far in this story we haven't seen any evidence that 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 quote quote unquote as you just said that isn't like that at all uh, because right now all I get from Vorg and Sherna is that they are just like that yeah. they are clowns uh, and the tribunal is correct in this yeah. case <laughs> maybe they are maybe that's another further satire it is clowns uh, the Doctor Who is I don't know mm-hmm. but that's the way I read it I don't know if anybody else does but mm-hmm. yeah. I mean it's it's certainly easier to read it that way looking back at uh vorg's costume in particular knowing that in the future we were going to get colin baker in his right. coat oh dear that's pretty much exactly how it reminds me of too and the clear hat which apparently fogged up a lot because under the hot heat at the studio mm-hmm. perspired and stuff like that wow. yeah yeah it's a it's quite a quite a costume quite a quite a get up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's that's fascinating. I will be thinking about that through through the rest of this. Um, you know, I definitely, I definitely read the the you know satire on 
staid, stodgy governments mm-hmm. um, and, you know, repression of the working masses, because that's clear. Yep. Um, it was like I wasn't exactly sure what was going on because there's no language that we understand coming from the functionaries. But, you know, they're unpacking these, uh, you know, amazing, shiny <laughs> packages. I from now on, I just want to wrap every freaking Christmas present in silver paper with a red, red, red ribbon. <laughs> Because it looks amazing. I think the boxes are empty, though. It wouldn't uh, pass muster on the uh, Christmas movie bingo, but uh. oh no, very, very clearly empty. And then there were a few of them that actually had like sort of more of a matte finish silver paper that didn't wriggle quite as much, and those also looked looked quite nice. Mm-hmm. They weren't all wrapped exactly the same, which eh, nice touch. Um, but anyway, so they're unloading those from from the spaceship, and. Then suddenly one of them just runs off to the top of something and starts gesturing. And like, I think I read it correctly that it's, you know, trying to create some sort of labor uprising, that sort of thing. And then, you know, the, uh, the bosses literally shot him down and, um, yeah, so not, not particularly subtle, but I don't think you want to (laughs) be, don't be subtle on Dr. Who. This is a family time, like kids show. Subtlety is ridiculous. That's no, this is, this is where you go over the top. And that was over the top. I liked it. Especially two minutes into the episode. You want to sort of set in stone what the, uh, you know, what the relationship is between the two types of characters that we're seeing right off the start. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. That became perfectly clear real fast. Mm -hmm. Um, Who I mentioned, I mentioned Peter Halliday who plays the taller one, Plek Track. He was Packer in uh, the Invasion. Ah. Not sure if you remember, uh, recognize him. I did not recognize him. No. Nope. Uh, the other, the shorter one, is one Michael Wisher. Davros, him, right? Davros yeah. to be. Yes. I, well, I didn't recognize him, but no. nice. This is his. There, he was Farrell in Terror of the Autons as well, and he's also in uh, Ambassadors of Death. And Terrence Lodge, who plays the third one, sort of the more. Um, uh, junior of the uh, of the three who rule, so to speak. I think he was in the Macra Terror as well. So, we're, and of course, speaking of actors who we've seen in Doctor Who before, how about one that we will see in Doctor Who again? Ian Martyr shows up as Andrews on the ship. He is so great. Yeah. I just love him. And honestly, like the the very first uh, shot of him, like it's it's not up close and he's sort of standing on the other side of the woman. I didn't recognize him mm-hmm. right away. And you're like, and yes, that was Ian Martin. And I was like, what? And then the next shot like is actually of him <laughs> yeah. um, is a more of a medium shot where you can actually see his face uh, and hear his voice more clearly. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course it is. Like mm-hmm. I would have I would have recognized him. But the thing that's delighting me so much is that, you know, I mostly just know him for playing Harry Sullivan, yeah. uh, which is a really different character. And I have uh, now having seen this, I have much more uh, respect for his acting abilities because he is a completely different character here and plays it very, very well. And it's convincing. And I like that we got to see him do the same lines a couple mm-hmm. of times. Um, and I extra appreciate the fact that this is, you know, it's not a time loop story. This is not like Eve right. the Daleks where it's actually a time loop. It's that people were programmed to just sort of perform the same actions over and over again. <laughs> so if they don't like stand in exactly the same spot and move yeah. in exactly the same way, that's fine because it's built into the fiction of the story that that's not what is happening. They're just mm-hmm. people doing the same thing over and over again. And it's like, yes, I pour myself water multiple times a day. Do I use exactly the same motions to pour myself water mm-hmm. every time? Nope. There's there's some variations and that's fine. So I, I like that. It's like they're NPCs in a way. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, Ian Martyr originally uh, auditioned for the part of Captain Yates 
in Terra the Autons, but couldn't uh, commit to a, a longer run. And so, I know, so uh, Richard Franklin got cast instead. But Barry Letts said, I like this Ian Water fellow. I'm going to use him again sometime. And not only did, the, did he do that, but one of his final acts as Doctor Who producer was, of course, when casting a new companion, remembered him yet again. And so, because it was Barry Letts, what cast not only Sarah Jane Smith, but also uh, Harry Sullivan and indeed the fourth Doctor Who before heading out the door. (laughs) Very, very comfortable in his legacy as uh, someone who changed Doctor Who for the better. Very much. Yeah, Yeah, wow. Ian Ian Martyr must have made quite an impression. And now I'm like retconning everything in my head with him playing Mike Yates and I think I like it better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that we wouldn't have him as Harry Sullivan. Yep, that's true. So, you know, it, 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 things work out that way. They do. Um, boop, 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 boop. What else we got here? Uh, Tardis, anything else? You chickens. Chickens. <laughs> you want to talk about the chickens? I mean, there's not a lot to say, but I really, I liked that scene. I liked Joe referring back to it. It was just, it's it's fun. It is, I, I enjoyed seeing Joe push back a bit on the doctor and like they were both right she was Uh she was right this is an earth ship these are earth people he is is right in his own way that like it's not on earth something different is happening here um so it was it was nice to see her stand up for herself and the things that she was recognizing um in a in a very you know nice joe way Mm -hmm. uh and and the doctor not pushing back on her in a really nasty doctor way the way that he sometimes does so it's so far it's been a nice dr joe story i like it more playful Mm -hmm. in his way i like the way how you know uh joe goes do you ever you know uh, no it can't be here that's impossible and joe goes you know do you ever admit that you're wrong (laughs) and sort of looks playful and goes no that's impossible too i like the way he played that yes that was I, i actually paid specific attention to that line because it was it wasn't a full-on smile, like, ha-ha, I'm joking. Yeah. But, you know, it was. It also wasn't, like, super pompous doctor being yeah. like, that would be impossible. It's like, it's riding that line where it's like, he's kind of joking, but at the same time, he also kind of means it. It's acceptance of the fact that, uh-huh. no, I can't. <laughs> it's impossible, too, for me. But, yep. Yep. So that was, that was quite nice. And also, I just, <laughs> one thing I noticed is, that I know that there are people out there who ship Joe and the third Doctor, and that is not something that I have ever done, because I just don't read them that way. And I feel like I have, like, slight vindication. I mean, you can ship whoever you want in, right. in your own headcanon, that's fine. But I feel like the, the script, the way it plays out, <laughs> works great for me, because... Joe immediately uh, pretends that he's her uncle. Yeah. Like she does, like she could have easily said, Oh, my husband and I, blah, blah, blah. Nope. Or she my goes, Father or something like that. Grandfather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, father would have been even farther away from yeah. the, uh, the shipping idea, but still, you know, he's my, my elderly uncle. Yeah. She didn't say elderly. <laughs> I just added that now. <laughs> <laughs> he's got gray hair. I mean, you know, how old was John Pertwee back? Is it early 50s? Well, that's about double the age, probably Katie Manning, not a little more. I know, but in 1926, having a you know a man in his 50s married to somebody who is half his age would totally be fine. Like, expected even. I am unfamiliar with marital culture in the time of the Charleston, the music of which we heard while um, Daly, Major Daly, was pouring himself a stiff one. I like that he was pouring uh, Claire a drink after she saw the uh, plesiosaurus, and then just immediately just drinks it himself. Oh, it was that was a, a great moment. Yep. Yep. Nineteen twenty-six. Um, same year that uh, Black Orchid is set in, I think, isn't it? Mm. Or is it twenty-five? Can't remember now. I don't know, but I do want a chicken curry at this point. 
I want a curry, but not a chicken curry because I am a humorless vegetarian. Um, what else about this uh, this here story? Anything else that um, floats your boat, so to speak? Um, be it the SB Espernese? No. Um, it was nineteen twenty six was on the calendar. Anyway. <laughs> um, I did not know about this boat. I had never heard of it before, oh, okay. any any more than than Joe had. Because it's fictitious. Oh, is it? Did they it make is, it up? Yeah. Oh, okay. But they do a good job of it, like to actually give you specific dates and stuff, you know, that you might be thinking that, hey, maybe this is an actual thing. But uh, to hammer that point home, apparently the the dates, uh, the days of the week are wrong in the 1926 (laughs) calendar. Not for the first time, not for the last time in the pre-internet age of Doctor Who, do they sort of have to go, well, let's just sort of do some figuring out because they had to go to a library, I suppose, to see old Mm -hmm. calendars back in those days. Yeah, like it, you couldn't just look it up on on Google, nope. and you know, with leap years in there, it's like everything gets super. Throws everything out the window. Yep. yep. Yeah. So that's that's funny. <laughs> Sorry, just that's delight. That's a delightful, delightful little thing that I would never have have known. So thank you for thank you for pointing that out. Don't thank me. Thank the Doctor Who discontinuity guide for pointing out pretty much every time that a on screen calendar does not match with any year in history. Maybe that's on purpose. Who knows? Mm. Probably not. I don't think it's on purpose. No. I just think it's it's evidence that Doctor Who takes place in a parallel universe to ours. It's not really our universe. You may well think that. And you're probably right. <laughs> Anything else about Carnival of Mars is part one? I don't think so. Okay, well, on to whenever. Are we watching one right away? We are? Uh, oh, I don't know. Oh. I was I was nodding at you saying on to whenever. Um, so, I don't know. You don't have to. No promises. No promises. Well, the next time we talk about Doctor Who, it'll be Carnival of Monsters Part 2, at the very least. Or should I say Episode 2? I should, because that's the proper title. Yes, you should. Yes. Okay, well, until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.